Hey everyone, this is Edo Ninja, and you are now listening to the Storm Connect podcast. I talk about gaming topics and animated series of my own interest, like Ruby, Kingdom Hearts, Persona 5, and etc. The goal I aim to accomplish on every episode is to provide insights on these subjects that are usually overlooked to spread awareness and learn more. In this episode, we are going to be discussing the recent chapters of Rooster Teeth's Ruby Volume 7, an animated web show that features anime characteristics where four girls, Ruby, Weiss, Blake, Yang, and a few other traveler friends went from training to become huntsmen and huntresses to saving the world as they fight off against the creatures of Grimm. If you are not caught up with the Ruby series, I suggest you tune into this podcast at another time, especially the fact Chapter 9 is now available only to Rooster Teeth's first membership subscriptions. With that being said, let's start off with Chapter 7. So, um, (laughs) unfortunately, Chapter 7 is literally like, as the title says, we're pretty much at the worst case scenario here. So after that horrific massacre, Robin Hill has had enough and she is now willing to go through such illegal lengths and take the role as a vigilante to ensure and do what she can to better the conditions for Mantle because they have suffered so much ever since Team Ruby has made their arrival to Atlas. And you know what? I don't blame her. I don't blame her at all because... Ironwood, what he's been doing around in the Kingdom of Atlas, not exactly a good look. And he says that it's for the better good and he's willing to pay for that price. But that's how you lose people's trust. And you know what? Now that I'm saying this out loud, that might have been why there was an election going on for people in Mantle and Atlas for someone to sit on the council because Ironwood has two seats of the council. And the citizens of Atlas and Mantle have been super skeptical of Ironwood since then. And this is what's like boggling my mind. It's the fact that Ironwood does not trust Robin Hill for whatever reason. It's just like she just wants to help. Yes, she doesn't agree with your methods. Yes, she doesn't exactly agree with the law and such. But that's why she wants to help and such. So if you probably let her like know of like what's the real fight in front of us. Maybe, just maybe, you would have a better outcome and better relations with her. And hell, she is a much, much more better candidate for someone to sit on the council rather than Jokshni. So, due to the fact that there was a massacre, Robin Hill is not sitting on the council. Rather, it's the shady Jokshni that's sitting on the council. And Robin Hill has gone to Vigilante and stealing the supply units in order to, like, build back the walls and like have the support for Mantle to have the protection against Grimm. Now we're at a complete stop for the Amity Tower to be completed. Because of that, there is no other way that we can get any further from this except one thing. And I didn't think that I would hear this in this show, but Ironwood was seriously thinking on declaring martial law just for the sake of the tower. I'm going to have to stand with Nora on this one, but what makes you think that the mistakes that you have made, because this could have been prevented with finishing the tower? Like, I don't know about, like, framing Penny for the massacre. That probably was not preventable. I don't know. Maybe with rewriting the code of Atlas and such? Maybe. But in terms of finishing the Amity Tower, that could have been prevented. And Robin Hill doing what she's doing right now, going to such illegal lengths just to do what she can for Mantle, this could have been all prevented. But no, we're going to solve this 
by declaring martial law and sending more soldiers and squeeze Mantle out of such a discomfort zone, they're gonna lose all of their trust and faith in Ironwood. And you're also gonna put the vigilante hero to custody. What are you doing? You're gonna force them to cooperate? Like, no, you can't be doing this. You talk about how you're ready to face off against Salem, even though you don't know the truth. But anyways, you're ready to face off against her. You're willing to do what it takes to protect your country, your kingdom, and your people in it. You talk about of like how everything's going to be okay and such, when you're not making it seem that way at all. And you're making the people in town live in fear. This is so disappointing for me to see because Ironwood did not learn his lesson. Displaying, flexing your military strength to the world, to your people, and to others of Remnant? Oh yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, she is totally scared. Salem is totally afraid of your big gigantic ships and your futuristic guns and your technology. Oh yeah, let's show her. You got, you got her there. You got her there, Ironwood. Kudos to you. This is seriously like a rinse and repeat. Like, how many more casualties do you need, Ironwood? How many casualties do you need to realize that sending in more soldiers and looking like the bad guy so then you can be the hero at the end of the day is not going to work in your favor, especially with you as the headmaster of Atlas. Please chill out for like a few seconds. But the worst part is the fact that you're prone to overreacting. So it makes sense, but... We learned this lesson before. Like, we saw the example of what happens if you were to send in more soldiers and to literally flex your military to other people like that. Oh, yeah. People feel safe. Totally. Okay, Ironwood. All right. Sure. Because <laughs> I don't know anything, apparently. Apparently, we nobody does. <laughs> okay. But anywho, my big issue with this is the fact that, like, he is the headmaster and... It, we can't just simply just go by to what he personally believes and stuff like that. Like, I understand that, like, he's the headmaster. But the issue is the fact that it's because that he's the headmaster. So whatever he does, whatever decisions that he makes and such, it's going to affect the rest of the kingdom. So, and he's just, he's not wanting to do that. I, I just, I don't understand. I don't know why he's just going with this, just about military, like, about this power and such. It is, it's basically what Osmond said before. It is a sign of conflict, not a symbol of safety of your people, the citizens of Mantle and Atlas. So in conclusion of my Ironwood rant, I understand where he's coming from. I understand why he acts the way that he does, but the fact that he did not learn his lesson at all from what happened at Beacon is just super, super astonishing. Maybe a little surprising, but not exactly surprising, but oh my lord. He is going to get people killed, and probably himself killed while we're at it, so that's all I have to say about that. Moving forward, I want to talk about Lyren real quick. He's been acting super strange in this volume. I just, I don't know. It's just not fitting right with me, especially the fact that he is now developing this paranoia. It's similar to how Blake was paranoid back in volume 2 against Roman Tortric, the White Fang. Adam Torres. The difference is the fact that Blake was always focused on the world problems because she's a faunus. So, 
it makes sense as to why she understands the history with the White Fang and why she would have this paranoia of, like, the incidents that's been happening with the criminal activity that's been going around at Beacon. But with Ren, I just, I don't know. It's just, it's a little bit inconsistent. Like, he'll be fine, but then he'll be paranoid, but then he'll be fine. And it wasn't like that with Blake. Like, she was always paranoid, but it was built up. With this, it just felt like it came out of nowhere. And, like, the fact that, like, he's kind of shutting himself off to look like an actual military soldier for Ironwood. That just, that seems really weird for me. And, you know, he's usually the calm one. He's usually, like, the one that's able to assess the situations with a cool head and such. So, I don't understand what's with the paranoia that just came out of nowhere right now. Especially, like, the urge and the need to train, to get stronger. But, like, now he's burning himself out. But I just don't see the reason of that. And if it's for the reason of Salem reaching the Atlas and stuff like that, why was that fear not kicking in in Volume 4? Like... He was chill in Volume 5. In Volume 6, he had his moments and such, because rightfully so, especially after the learning the truth, what Jin told Team Ruby. But this just... What is happening? I don't understand. I just don't understand, like, what this is going on. Unless there's something that, like, we're going to learn later in this volume as to why he's been acting the way that he does. Okay, fine, but... There, this just feels like it just came out of nowhere and it's not like properly explained just right. So it just seems like basically a rehash of Blake's paranoia, except it's just been copied off to Ren. And I don't know if there's supposed to be character development here when he's been fine. He was been fine the way that he is. So I don't know. That's all I really have to say about Ren. So I'm going to move a little bit forward from this now. Uh, Petro Paladina. I want to talk about him before I talk about, like, with the rest of the events of this chapter with Blake, Yang, and Robin Hill. So let me talk about Petro Paladina. Here's my thing. I thought he was strict and a little bit overprotective and stuff like that. I just thought he was, like, one of those, like, fathers that's like, yeah, you, like, talk to her and stuff like that. I'm going to, like, evaluate everything about you. And the reason why I was under that impression was because of how earlier in the volumes of how Penny talked about her dad... How the military has talked about the father. I didn't know what to think. So I was under that impression. Especially the fact like, oh yeah. Her father won't be happy about this. And this and whatever. And such. And I see him here in volume 7. I'm just like, what the fuck? He is such a wholesome guy. I don't see him as the type of person that would be like, oh yeah, you can't have friends and stuff like that. Like, what? It's also more wholesome to know the fact that he wants... His daughter, the daughter that he built himself with his assistance of a few other people, to have a soul, a heart, to where people can take comfort knowing that they can believe and put in the fate of such a beautiful soul, you know? Like, I'm actually genuinely impressed that he was able to build such an amazing robot that developed a heart, trying to understand emotions and such, and like... It feels like that she actually has a personality. Like, yeah, like, she's a little bit of an awkward, like, social little turtle because she's, like, a robot. But, like, you can see of, like, of how she feels. Like, her feelings are actually real. Like, oh, my God. Like, Pedro, how did, how did you build her? How did you, like, compute for her to have such emotions like that? Like, she feels like she's an actual real human being. And speaking of building, we need to talk about this, too. The secret that he's revealed about himself, his condition, 
why he's coughing so much? Why is he the way that he is right now? How many sufferings and hardships did you have to go through of simply rebuilding your own creation? He's given up a lot of his aura. It's gone to a bigger extent now. And I just... That pains me to see that. And you know what? It does make sense because it would be nearly impossible to create an artificial aura. Maybe not for Atlas, but just for someone like Penny. Like, now it's starting to click in and make a lot more sense. But, Jesus Christ... Petro deserves a whole lot for creating such a beautiful soul, a beautiful protector of mantle. And you know what? Fuck Ironwood. Fuck Ironwood for telling her that she doesn't have time for friends. She doesn't have time to develop friendships. Like, what the hell, man? Like, no, you are not her father. The father is Petro. You're not her father. Like, if she wants to have friends, she can have friends. She deserves to have some friends. You let her be. You leave her alone. Like, this is injustice. You can't be doing that. <laughs> we are trying to show Salem of what she can't have. What she will never have because of her bitch ass. Don't try to prove a point with her. Don't try to be like her. Like, oh my god. You're starting to like... Ugh! It infuriates me when talking about this. Especially to how wholesome those two are. I just... Oh my. I just hope nothing bad happens to them in this volume or in the future volumes at all. Like... I think they suffered enough as is, so I think it's time for their justice. Hopefully, but we'll see. We're slowly tiptoeing to know more about Arthur Watts' past. We know that he's a disgraced Atlesian scientist and also a doctor. People believe that he's dead. He pretty much helped build and write the code of Atlas security and all the ins and outs of Atlas as a whole. And he must have been involved with the Penny Project. When I saw that photo with everyone else and Dr. Watts, he just seems so unhappy. It looks like a sign of rejection. Like, yes, he did help to build her, but not in the way that he envisioned for the Penny Project. And maybe even more of his creations that were not approved of or recognized for and such. So all the efforts that he's put for, we don't know. I firmly believe that we're going to be able to piece the puzzle together as to why Watts sides with Salem, what happened that made Watts turn out to the way that he is right now. So now I'm going to tackle this part, the conversation between Blake and Yang before they're on their way to capture Robin Hill and take her to custody. I think those two characters pretty much summed up right as to what the series is now. How it has changed over the past several years from one theme to another theme. And it's just really, really tense yet so dark. To how it began with a couple volumes to how we are now. It went from people always have a choice to make. And when you make that choice, you have to own it like a true huntsman. Even if you're not a licensed huntsman or whatever and stuff like that. It doesn't matter if you have the official title or not. You need to own it like you are the actual Huntsman or Huntress. And here we are with whoever learns about the existence of Salem. They no longer have a choice. They are stuck. They're pretty much now in the list that they need to be killed off or they're going to be used for something and such. And they're going to have to do whatever it takes 
for whatever is the right thing for the world, for the world of Remnant, or for themselves. I feel like the death of Pierre and Nikos was to show that sign that the theme was definitely going to change. Like, there's definitely going to be, like, two themes. Like, basically, I would like to call this two sides of the same coin here. She made her choice just as everyone else did and such. But sometimes, when people are, like, there, when they know about it and such, it's a little bit scary. Raven is a perfect example of that, actually. You are only limited to if you can actually run from Salem or be brave just as Yang is and face off against her. It's really difficult to leave or create some type of legacy in the way of how you want your name to be remembered as, as a huntsman or huntress. But by the time that you learn the existence of Salem and such, that fear might control some people like basically what Raven did is... The only thing she knows is to run. So it's kind of interesting to see that, like, you know, the choice theme and there really wasn't a choice theme of only doing the quote-unquote right thing, even if you have to sacrifice some people and such, or your own self. It really, it kind of goes hand-in-hand here. So I thought it was, like, really interesting uh, to see that little discussion with Yang and Blake. Although, if I'm going to be totally honest, I don't know slowly it sounded like it. i can't confirm that for sure but i feel like they were referencing adam torres when they had to kill him back in volume six and they said that they had they had to do what they had to do i don't know if that was like the appropriate way to actually say that especially that adam sided with salem but it's good to know that they're making the choice and they're kind of working their way around that they even know that what ironwood is doing is wrong so they're going to put their trust into Robin Hill, especially to someone who wants to just help out and not even doing some shady shit. So, good on them for talking with her instead, and even throwing off the military rather than actually falling through and put her in custody. She even had a cool semblance. Like, that is really, really handy. Like, a lie detector semblance. That is so cool. I just wonder of how that semblance fits with her, because... In the description of semblances, that semblance usually defines you of how you are as a person, your personality, your actions, or vice versa. So, I don't know Robin Hill that well enough to know of where the whole lie detector comes in, the honesty. All I know is that she is the hero of Mantle, and she views that town, the city, as a family to her. So, she's willing to... Do whatever it takes, even put her life on the line for it. I just need to see a little bit more of her, especially of what would happen if someone actually tries to lie to her and the semblance shows that someone is lying. Would it kill them? Would it, you know, that lessen their life? I don't know. Hopefully we'll see it later in the volume. Now this part, I wasn't expecting it to see it so soon, but we got to see the vault for Atlas, and it looks so cool, so futuristic, it definitely fits in that type of vibe. I love it so much. So, this what kinda scares me. Apparently, the Staff of Creation can only serve one purpose at a time, and right now that purpose is basically keeping Atlas afloat, which that's cool and all. But what's gonna happen if to say, let's say this as a hypothetical sense, Cinder somehow gets the Winter Maiden powers. She goes over to Atlas. She finds the vault. She goes over there. She takes that relic. 
And guess what? That relic, she's gonna stop that purpose and... Boo! Yep, there goes Mantle, there goes Atlas, the entire kingdom is destroyed. So I'm hoping, even if it does get taken out of its vault, I'm hoping Ironwood has a plan. At least some type of plan that can at least still keep Atlas afloat with gravity dust. If he doesn't have a backup plan, yikes. Yikes. Let's just hope Salem's forces does not find their way to the vault in order to retrieve the Staff of Creation. Because, oh my lord, because once they find a way to cancel that, ooh, goodbye Atlas. Now let's dig a little deeper in this scene, actually. This is legitimately like the first time that we're actually seeing some type of development or some type of scene with Oscar like this. He's a regular farm boy who just happened to be cursed with a grave burden and another soul that he can't exactly get rid of and he's just been having a little bit of a crisis about it and he's just living every day just, well, waiting until it happens. The transition. And he's only 14 years old, like he's young. Poor little fellow. But it's just the fact that he was just randomly added into the show. Like, there was not really that much. Again, like, he's just there because of Austin. So, but now I see that they're actually doing something more with him. And this is good. He needed this. This is pretty much the makeup time, the makeup opportunity that they lost. He heavily lost in Volume 6 because there was a lot of stuff that we learned about Volume 6. Especially with Austin. And that heavily involves with Oscar because he's the new vessel for Ozpin. So I'm just surprised that like we didn't get to really see too much in depth of like how's Oscar feeling about this? What is he going to do? What's like driving him at this point besides the fact that like he's forced to bear this burden by an old man? That little boy, he decided to up and like vanish after being harassed by some crybaby. And, you know, people are looking for him. He comes back after going clothes shopping. And it was just like, oh, yeah, um, I gave it a couple thoughts. And I'm just going to do whatever I can until, well, this old man takes over my body. So, yeah, hopefully this goes well. Um, and, yeah, love you guys, too. Yeah, let's do this. What? <laughs> that makes absolutely no sense. I'm just like, there was no type of buildup. Like, like, Oscar has been getting so much shit. And a little bit rightfully so, because I feel like he wasn't written out too well. He was just squeezed in because, again, the old man. So, with that conversation that he was having with Ironwood, he is starting to sound a little bit more like Ospin about, like, believe in yourself, believe in the people and stuff like that. Like, don't be afraid to talk to the people that you need to talk to and such. I really hope, like, they actually flesh him out a little bit more, especially the fact that now that they're actually doing this, I don't want Ospin to come back anytime soon. I really want them to take as much time as they can to flesh out Oscar for a little bit and to see how far that he can go from one thing to another. I feel like it's going to be a great opportunity, but we'll have to see in Volume 7 and the future of Ruby. Now I know I gave Ironwood a lot of shit just earlier. I'm happy to see that like, even though he's making these stupid decisions, he has a good heart. He has, like, the right intentions and such. He is just 
in panic mode. He's paranoid, and I especially don't blame him, especially the fact that he has expressed that he felt hopeless because he was no match for Salem, especially for someone that's, like, very terrified, and he's just so used to doing this by himself and just alone. He wants to show that, like, he can be brave and he can do it for the people and such, but he can't do it alone. He needs to trust his people and such and that they're going to make it out together. So... It also explains as to, like, why he has a weird way of conveying his emotions. He's not exactly the type to really open up. He's not so used to that because he's just more so focused on the end goal of things. Then, now, we end off the chapter of basically a passive-aggressive invitation from the new councilman, Schnee. For Ironwood to defend his seat on the fucking council. Like... Bullshit! Like, that—that that is like the most passive-aggressive shit that you could do to literally, like, spite somebody. Like, wow! That is such a ballsy move to literally, like, send that type of message to somebody like, Hey, I got exactly what I wanted, and now I'm doing this to you, so if you don't show up or do whatever it takes to defend your seat, <laughs> you better come here and keep your shit, even though I'm gonna wreck your shit and humiliate you. That is so so passive-aggressive, like, wow, you're such an asshole. <laughs> no matter how aggravating it is to receive a message like this, looking at it to the general public view, unfortunately, it's actually a smart move for him because that's going to better his look as the new councilman while he is trying to make Ironwood look bad and hopefully he gets what he wants by removing him from the council and even as headmaster of Atlas. That's pretty much my lengthy thoughts of Chapter 7. So now let's go on to chapter 8. You know, before, like, we get into, like, the deep, very, very deep stuff of this chapter, I just have to, like, name off a couple funny things that I thought was just hilarious uh, that I just need to, like, quickly recap. They, Team Ruby has a conversation, and to some of that conversation, Weiss is going undercover to her own mansion. I just, I don't know, I just thought it was just so funny, like, she's... She's going undercover in her own house? Like, okay, that's kind of... It's so weird, but, like, it's funny at the same time. So I thought, like, all right, well, that's, um... All right, I guess that's a plan. But I get it. They have to find out what the hell Jock's been up to. So it is what it is. So this part is actually kind of cool. I've always seen the vehicles being operated by wheels, the car vehicles, but never with gravity dust. I thought that was actually pretty cool to see and really classy and fancy, if you ask me. Another thing, shout out to Winter for that amazing line delivery. Sir, with all due respect, you have to pay me. Like, Jesus Christ, that's how you know, like, she is not happy to be revisiting home again. Holy crap. But, I don't know, just something about it, even though, like, it was funny, like, I felt the power, the impact of that. Like, oh my lord, she really did not want to be here. <laughs> So, for this part, I was so sad because I was expecting to see him again this volume, but holy crap, he actually let Klein go, the amazing butler of the Schnee family. They let go of their best butler. I mean, I guess I, I get it because he did let go of Weiss, like, snuck her out, but that's so stupid. I'm just sad about that. Now let's actually get into this. So after the exchange, the very, very heavy exchange between the General and Whitley, Weiss is about to go off and do her own thing for her own investigation, then Whitley comes back all being head-ass and shit, and like, oh, 
Hey, big sis. Let's actually totally talk about me because I'm me and I love about myself and I just want to brag to you of how much I'm better than you. Like, what do you actually gain out of that by the fact that, like, you're talking trash and, like, how you're so cool and stuff like that to your all the other sister and such? Like, don't you get tired of that? Like, aren't you supposed to be, like, off to do better things and such that are, like, worth your time and such? Like, I... I'm really surprised that you want to quote-unquote catch up with your sister. I'm pretty sure you have an ulterior motive, but it just, it, to me, it wasn't just that clear. I don't know, like, why you were, like, keeping her there at, at bye, but okay, whatever, Whitley. Personally, at this point, it's to make himself feel better in some odd way, shape, or form, but that's the only thing I could think of at the moment. So with the conversation that's being dragged on, of course, Team Junior... Like, they help Weiss out so then she can go off and actually, like, super on the house and get Whitley to buzz off. And it's just strange of how, like, Ren here, again, like, the, there's some inconsistency that's going on. Like, he's switching up to paranoia, and then he'll be fine for a moment. And then I just, I don't understand what they're doing with him. I don't know what this is actually building up to. He's smiling, and he's chill at this dinner party, when earlier in the episodes, like, he is super paranoid and, like, pretty much shutting himself down. I, I'm not sure what's happening. And there's this theory that was going on for a little while that, like, oh, it could actually be Neo. But that's impossible because Neo is mute. And there might have been more obvious signs, maybe, that it wasn't actually Ren. But I don't know. I feel like that was, like, way too far-fetched that it could actually be Neo. So... I don't know. I feel like they're doing something with it. Like, I feel like they want to take him somewhere, but they're not executing it that well because they're trying to line up the moon and such when Ren wasn't even like that after he arrived in Atlas. But I don't know. We'll just have to see how this volume is going to conclude with his character arc or development in this volume. And now, the dinner table. I was surprised to see Robin Hill there. Like, I get it. Like, why Jock invited her so then they could discuss the concerns of the kingdom of atlas but to see that was your former competitor at the dinner table i just huh that just is so weird again it's a smart move because to the general public like yeah that's like really good that you want to hash things out and such when really you're controlling the conversation and gaining the advantage now this part I don't understand this at all. I had to question this because of what was being mentioned before. It's not looking like the case as it is now. For some reason, it was just switched up. Earlier in this volume and somewhat in volume four, they always emphasize that whatever decision Ironwood makes, the council will just go with it because they're pretty fearful of what's going to happen next, essentially. So I just, I don't understand the fact that like, these are the same councilmen that agreed to anything. Like, they made the agreement of it. They're now making the claim as to, oh, yeah, like, you've been, kind of been having too much control and stuff, so you need to work with us and such. I'm like, why is this all coming out just now? Why wasn't this addressed before? Even on the last mission that the Aesops and Team Ruby went on, like, they approved of this. It didn't even require a vote, as stated. They were okay with it. So why is this all, like, coming up just now? You're over here attacking the general for withholding information and such, while you over here, you gave the impression that this was okay, but now you're making it seem like you were not okay with any of the things that he's been doing for like the past several years. The lack of communication here is just so 
wrong here. It's hypocritical at that point. I'm actually being serious, but how did you guys function as a council? And you're over here putting the blame onto somebody else, especially for the hypocrisy that you're displaying of bringing all these issues out of nowhere now. Don't misunderstand me when I say this. I'm not saying the general is not at fault here. He is at fault because of the mistakes that I mentioned earlier. But it leaves a bad taste on my mouth when the council over here is attacking him for it when they're doing the same thing as he is, in some regard. Leaving Councilman Sleet and Councilwoman Camilla aside, 70% of the time, I usually see Jacques taking his temperamental issues out on somebody, his stress, his anger out on other people. But here in this scene, he doesn't over-exaggerate anything. He didn't twist anything. He didn't lie about anything. He flat out said the exact concerns of what the council has with how James has been handling the decisions for the kingdom and the incidents that have been occurring lately. It's pretty much to put Ironwood at that pressure point to see if he could really keep his council seat or not. But it definitely got to a point where it even infuriated Winter. And notice the fact of how he just acknowledged that one line, not anything towards to his other daughter at all, just that one line and just completely dismissed her later. Like, Jesus Christ, you went asshole father of the year. God damn. We may not know the entire like background story for Winter Schnee, but that scene alone is enough that tells me of how much she really wanted to distance herself away from the family name and her father. So when she excused herself after for that outburst, we see this interesting dynamic. I didn't really click with this before with Penny Paladina and Winter Schnee. I did feel it when I saw those two together, but this scene, it really like showed it. Penny Paladina, who is a robot girl, is trying to develop feelings, understand human emotions, and everything within the human chemistry. While we have Winter Schnee over there, she is one to repress her emotions, and when she does that, she explodes. For everything for what she's feeling and stuff, she is keeping herself so shut down, she wants to act just like the robot in order to keep in line. It's a really cute chemistry between the two, and I really hope that they keep developing with that so they can teach each other a lesson and also grow together. So, yes, I love this look for Winter and for Penny, too. Now, this last part, I personally believe some people kind of overhyped it, but we finally get to see Willow Schnee, the mother. That poor woman, it looks like she just gave up. She just lost hope and she is just so depressed. She's just stuck. She was kind of talking a little funny too, but it just, it just sounded broken. Not something that like, it's because that she's drunk. It just sounded so distraughtfully irreparable. She put the cameras all over the house, but it's just the fact that it looks like she gave up on trying because she's just stuck on this tight leash and that's just all she knows. That's literally how it's been for like, a good majority of her life, she's just so not happy with herself and the situation that she's in. I do hope she finds the strength to start smiling again and start being okay. And maybe get out of this trap that she's in right now. Not living in fear and be free just like her two other daughters. However, she did kind of help us out a little bit with that, so we might be on to a good step already. So, speaking of help, let's go to chapter 9. To resume the conversation with the council, 
Another thing that just threw me off was the fact that they're making the claim that Ironwood has made unilateral decisions without the council when it's been shown and stated otherwise. There are things that I know that the general has catch from the council, but in terms of making these decisions, he hasn't been keeping them in the dark for that. Unless that I'm getting this confused. Why is this being brought up now? I'm not understanding this. Like, it, I, we hear and see one thing, and now they're saying another thing. It's just like, which is it? I don't understand this. What people intend and what they do are not the same. I agree with that statement. Why are you acting such a hypocrite, Councilman Sleet? And Ironwood is right. Like, that is why we have checks and balances, and you guys are the one that made the decision for him to have two seats on the council for a very long time. But you're not acting on this checks and balances concept that you all established as a kingdom. So why are you still blaming this on the general? Again, I'm not exactly defending for him because he is at fault for certain things, though, but don't come at him... When you have never once gave your platform to speak on any issues or the matter that you have and then be so quick to blame him for it. That's just straight up dishonesty. And finally, thank the Ice Queen. She finally comes through at the perfect time because I was low-key getting a little bit annoyed with this conversation. Woman barges in like Elsa, exposes her dad for wearing a clip tie. I mean, um, <laughs> actually exposes her dad for rigging the election, and gives one of the most satisfying lines in Volume 7, his arrest. And to add a little bit of a bonus to that, she adds in, can I do that? <laughs> like, that was just so funny. I died. But the cool thing about this is that we got another crucial detail that Ironwood disgraced Arthur Watts, and he wants to return the favor. So I just want to know what happened. And there's this incident called the Paladin's Incident. What happened during that time? And Ironwood did not really seem shocked to see Arthur Watts alive. Not saying the fact that there's something suspicious about it, but it's just the fact that he said that like it really, really makes sense that Arthur Watts would pull behind the schemes of what's been going on in Mantle. And even made a very bold claim the fact that it's in his character to work with a madman like Tyrion Kalos. It really sounds like he was definitely discredited and someone else was always outshining him or some people, I don't know. But whatever work he did was always not recognized and Ironwood took that for granted maybe? Or there was just something about it that Dr. Watts is pretty much very adamant about that whatever he created and such was one of his best creations and it would better Atlas when Ironwood really did not see it that way. But hey, who knows? But uh, another interesting detail about Arthur is that he is an intellect. He's smart. He's not stupid. He's not emotional and stuff like that. He keeps his cool head and he, he's just that good. So it's just the fact that he was taught in a way to use his intellect for the wrong reasons is why I find him very interesting as to why he sides with Salem. So hopefully we get more information about that in the last four chapters. So after for putting the puzzle together, what's so disgusting is that after confirming the accusations on Jacques, he doesn't care about the people that died that night and was just like, oh, I had nothing to do with that. I didn't know this was going to happen. But it's just like, you're still responsible for ending people's lives, even if you directly did not do it. 
they still die because you made a deal with the devil only because you want to make Ironwood's life a waking nightmare. That's just petty. That's just screwed up. That there alone says a lot about his character and I just cannot believe. I would be disgusted if I was his kid. Holy shit. You brush it up with the devil that you decided to make the deal with having shady methods and actions just because you just don't want to suffer as much as he's going to when he gets caught. Outrageous accusations? Get out of here, Jacques. And now everything is crumbling. Everything is about to fall apart even before the Amity Tower is supposed to go live. You have the creatures of Grimm invading Mantle. The Heaney Grid was shut off by Watts and is blocking other people to get access to it just to kill off the entirety of Mantle. And he is just this close to finding about everything with the Atlas Network and he'll have control of all of it. And you have Tyrion over here ready to commit another massacre because th that just looks like a murderous intent. So everything in Mantle is going chaotic. And last but not least, Neo and Cinder. I called this out on my Twitter saying that they're definitely going to appear in this episode and I called it. So now that they're here, they're going to go after with their own thought party. Neo's gonna go after Ruby, while Cinder is gonna try to get her bitch maiden power somehow, some way. I know it's gonna fucking happen, because she that's all she's hungry for. And to retrieve the Relic of Knowledge. And maybe even the Stab of Creation as well. It's all overwhelming because of one thing piling over another, but we're just finally at the horizon of the great battle for this volume. We will definitely see who comes out on top. But hey, uh, we actually get to see Ironwood development. Like, he was given the comfort that they can do this together and that he is not alone. And he definitely should tell the truth to Robin and the council. And because of that, he's making good strides of what a headmaster should be. So, if he keeps this up, he'll be able to regain the trust of Mantle. And he's definitely going to have these people trust him again and earn that type of relationship and make things better hopefully mantle is still around so that he can do that so we'll just have to see so let's get back to the topic with oscar pines again i'm actually relieved that they're keeping up with this consistency this momentum for oscar pines he is also pushing in ideas that is straying away from being Ozpin-esque and it's starting to sound a little bit more genuine like it's coming from Oscar. Like he definitely has that potential and it's starting to shine more. And a lot of people are thinking that it's Ozpin this whole time or like the conversion is already happening and such. I think they would have made it more obvious if it's actually happening because we would see Oscar going like, wait a minute, why did I say that? Or like, what what is happening to me and such? And I feel like, th I think that would have been more of a crisis that we see that the inevitable is happening. And I'm not seeing it here. Like, Ospin has, like, locked himself away. So, if it was really Ospin, again, they made it really clear of when we're talking to Ospin. But, hey, now they at least know what it's like to be on his shoes. Anyways, going back to Oscar. <laughs> it's also really good to see that he's taken a couple notes from Ruby that he can also move forward. He can do it. And it, it might be a while because this is so much for Oscar to take in. But... He's been handling it well finally this time. And I feel like it's been overdue because of Volume 6. We learned a lot from Ozpin and there was so much that has happened. I feel like that should have been focused a lot more with Oscar 
But because that there was so much else going on and such, they focus on the other characters and Oscar just what was going on there. And finally, like they're fleshing it out quite well in volume seven. Now, hopefully they keep going with this because now I want to see like Oscar taking in a further lead because he looks like he's now like believing in himself that he could do it and such because he was kind of backpedaling for a little while. But if he keeps this up, he'll be able to make great progress and I'll be able to like him a lot more as a character, just as I am right now. Oh yeah, can he have a better fight scene too? Because all I see him is just him whacking people with a cane and it's not really like exciting and doing much. And the times like he's had a fight scene, it was only because of Ozpin like doing a lot of good work for Oscar. So can we at least get, or at least have him unlock his semblance? Because that has been... A question that's like been driving me crazy so please ah, I, I want to see that happen just to see Oscar can really grow with it as well and to see what type of semblance that he's going to have that's going to define him a whole lot more so that is my biggest hopeful wish for Oscar Pines as of right now but what intrigued me was that Ironwood said that it's time for him to get back to the Academy I don't know if he meant for him to go back to like Atlas Academy for him to train or to go back to Beacon. I don't know what that means. I'm really like confused about that. I hope they elaborate more. I don't know if I'm really overthinking this though, but it sounded really confusing if you ask me. If he goes back to Beacon Academy, that'd be great, but would it be wise to go back at a time like this? To keep things under control now and such and basically to get everything sorted out there? I do have a feeling that he is going to have to go there at one point though, but if he goes there like sometime around soon, I don't know if that exactly would be wise. Especially the fact that like they're all making this journey and trips to stop Salem and to protect the relics and the maidens. So with that being said, we're going to be proceeding to chapter 10 where I'm pretty sure like now all the battles and the biggest conflicts are about to collide. And Casey Lee Williams, who's the singer for some of the Ruby songs, she made an announcement on her Twitter that she excited to hear some of the songs in the rest of the chapters of Ruby Volume 7. So, oh yeah, shit's gonna get real. In the opening, we see that Crow and Robin Hill are fighting off against Tyrion, so they're definitely going to encounter him at some point. Ironwood might be fighting off against Watts, maybe? Or he'll somehow encounter him at some point. If not, then someone, someone around with Team Ruby or Team Junior. But if there's going to be some type of song... Oh man, it would be so cool to hear maybe a Ruby versus Neo song, an Oscar Pine song, or maybe a Cinder versus Winter song, because I have a hunch Winter might get the Maiden powers, hopefully. I really hope that she does, because it looks like Freya's about to pass any second, so hopefully Cinder does not beat her to that, and, well, she's fucked from there. Or maybe, and this is just me, like, hopefully wishing this. I strongly doubt that this is going to happen but if it does raven broadwood pulls up and she literally steals the show she's like oh yeah hey guys i'm back i'm here to literally help out oh wait cinder's back i thought i killed you and then she goes in i would love to see that oh my god see all the wind like the maidens and such you see winter as like the new maiden raven going like oh we got some unfinished business, but shes I feel like she's going to steal the show with that song. All Things Must Die Part 2. Oh, that would be so cool. But we'll just have to see how this is going to develop. I strongly doubt it, though, but if she comes back, it would be so cool. I would be so happy. Raven, as of right now, she is my number one favorite Ruby character. So 
If I see that with everyone colliding together, oh my god, this is gonna get even more crazy. So, whatever happens in this volume, we're just gonna have to see if it's gonna be a volume 3 or a volume 5 situation. And that is all for the podcast episode. If you are listening to the show on Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave out a 5-star rating if you enjoyed the podcast. Hit up the StormConnect Twitter at StormConnectEN or other platforms this podcast is on for feedback on the show. This is Edo Ninja, and I'll see you guys next Wednesday.